0: Listen to Preachers and Stinkers first podcast. Did you yeah, really? I haven't yeah, listened to any of them. I didn't listen to the whole thing. I, um, I'm almost finished with it. Was it good? Yeah, it's pretty bu- good. But my point in the beginning of it that they start off, it starts off a disaster. So it makes me feel <laughs> not so bad at all. It actually a couple, and I don't, I'm not really a podcast. Honestly, I'm not. You're really not a podcast, podcast guy. Listener. No, you're not. I'm really not.
1: So it's funny that I've, kind of forced you into being a podcaster yeah it's because weird because i'm not listener. i'm
0: not yeah. a big podcast person at all so but I it is funny when you up. listen
1: that there's like two options it's either like cheesy super markety yeah. intro or absolute disaster and like nobody knows what they're doing Yeah, but, but
0: it's funny because like the bigger ones even yeah. the bigger podcasts yeah are the beginning they're always a disaster because it's weird it is but it's, you know it's what's it's funny is people everybody.
1: like to like make Horrible comments and say mean things about people. And it's like, okay, you sit down and let me record your conversations. It's weird. Yeah, you don't. Unless you you are totally comfortable standing like a cheese ball and being like, hi, welcome back to this episode of Growing Up Church. uh, Some
0: people are that good at self marketing that it doesn't bother them. You're not one of those guys. I'm not that person (laughs) at all.
1: That's funny. I didn't know you'd listen to that.
0: Yeah, I just, I did just to kind of see what they were saying.
1: Yeah, that's interesting.
0: And uh, yeah, the beginning of it though was pretty funny. That's cool. Uh, but well, speaking of being a disaster, apparently this this week has been kind of a uh, kind of an interesting week as far as
1: this week. It's Monday. <laughs> We're yeah. off to a great start Alrighty.
0: already. <laughs> 4.05 on Monday, it's, well, hmm. this is my first case of the Mondays in a while.
1: Yeah, maybe that's true.
0: <laughs> but it's funny. Uh, I guess, you know, obviously the podcasts that have been coming out lately. I knew that there was going to be because some we're sort of. are talking about
1: heavy topics. Yeah, yeah, I knew
0: there was going to be some sort of misunderstanding. You
1: know what's going to be funny is this podcast feathers. will come out right after the rapid fire one. Uh-huh. So what's funny is when this one comes out, we'll probably be eating our words because based off of the topics we touched in the rapid fire with Travis and Lex, I can't even imagine what the messages oh, are going to be after well, that. Oh, well, this <laughs> one.
0: Oh, maybe I'll make you put this one out like tonight.
1: I'm going to mess up my whole thing.
0: Oh, well. I'm this can go up that. before
1: the rapid fire than if you'd prefer.
0: Tonight or tomorrow.
1: No. Okay. Anyways.
0: I actually did want this to go out sooner. Okay. Because this was this something this is just something that we I don't want sitting, because this was something that pull
1: out my calendar book.
0: Yeah, she's got a calendar Let me book do the whole out. Thing. Well, it was just something that I actually had, um, and I guess I will give.
1: Do you have a pencil with an eraser, sir?
0: Yeah, right here, my Buzz Lightyear pencil. <laughs> Heidi bought these, or not Heidi, but Karen <laughs> bought these.
1: Heidi didn't buy anything.
0: Heidi. pencils and i took one because it looks exactly like buzz Lightyear. it does it's, it's green like the same Through green the kids' school pencils
1: purple. i've showed everybody all about them in our oh, vlogs yes. Duh. That one. what are we talking about today love
0: i'm gonna be talking about a couple different things want to clarify a couple things and then just give kind of a, a scriptural basis for a couple of my viewpoints here but first off i had probably one of the most i guess you could say christian conversations with somebody it's somebody that um, was trying to clarify some viewpoints and ask some questions, but definitely had an opposite, like an opposing view, and it. it was very strong opposing view.
1: And I think I want to add to that just real quick because I think many of us have had um, experiences like this. But some of the, you know, like um, Facebook message groups or, or even just like other people you talk to or whatever, but it's especially when it's like online, which I mean, most of us I think do, but the nastiest, most awful groups I have ever been involved with when it comes to discussing things of what you thought were like-minded topics of interest are the Christian groups. Remember that Christian homeschool group that's like the biggest one on yeah. Facebook? The, I've never dealt with such just vile disgusting nasty mean people not that everybody was but for the mm-hmm. most part as far as just i mean christians are known for being awful when it comes to having any form of thought or opinion that is not theirs mm-hmm. regardless i mean yeah, to
0: that too though and i try not to
1: and and it's hard because i mean we're all we all mess up okay so we all do think whatever but the point is is unfortunately Our Christian culture, especially here in the West that we know of, is really known for this vile, disgusting, horrible, unbiblical way to go about difference of opinion, thought. I mean, even if it's right or wrong, whatever it is, we're known for that. So when you find a brother or sister in Christ that has an opposing view from yours, which that happens, that's totally fine. There's a way to go about it and a way not to. And unfortunately, when you're dealing with, you know, the internet and other sinful human beings like yourself, most of the time you get, I mean, because we get that. I mean, just these nasty, horrible messages. It's like, what are you saying? Like, you're not saying anything. You're just trying to be mean. You know, Mm -hmm. what are you doing here? And then when it comes from a professing Christian, it's like, really with that? Um, And then people who come at you with, hey can we discuss this hey you know and this was the experience that really tipped off a lot of this because it was such a this is how we go about it and, and such an amazing like this is how we should have disagreements within the body you know not like divisions but hey let's discuss this
0: yeah she was um yeah so sweet i mean we just said. loved them anyways, it was but- it was really really a sweet conversation i mean it definitely was spirited i think on both sides just because we um, feel strongly about our opposing views, of which course, is completely yeah. fine. But it was honestly an example of the way that, yes, we should treat each other. We don't have to agree on everything. Um, you know, but then thinking, and then through some of um, her questions, just to, um, I wanted to clarify some things directly and, and give a case on why I think some things, because we had an interesting conversation, and what the conversation started off to being was a general confusion Sure. on my viewpoints. Uh, She had listened to a couple of podcasts, and she thought that, overall, they were great. Yes, that's a chicken in the background. (laughs) She said, overall, they were great, but she was kind of confused because she listened to some of the more recent In Times podcasts, and she was like, kind of perplexed she's like wait a minute you sound like you sound like you're you know you, you follow one theology but then you're saying the stuff about the end times and it's totally different I'm, and totally over in yeah, a different game now i'm totally confused and kind of intrigued at what exactly what it is that you're saying and what and, and what i think you a big
1: do. part of that really is is you and i like we are not big on the labels we mm-hmm. really aren't we've well, talked and that's about that yeah, And that's what she labels. said
0: too in in our conversation she said that she herself was only labeled off of what she believes so she and that's kind of what I do is i put my you know my you put your viewpoints of what you believe underneath whatever label you are mm-hmm. cuz that's when People, yeah, you you know, people want to automatically label you as. But um, if you don't I'm come
1: a, out of the gate with, I am this, right? right if you don't come theology, out of the gate with your right, labels, this, and then people can yeah. be like, whoa, 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 what's going on? You know what I right. mean? So, so I get but it. It's,
0: I mean, it's a, it's a question to summarize a bunch of different viewpoints. Basically, yeah. Um, is what it does. But, you know, unfortunately, our mine is is very is different in a couple different ways and one of the main things is on the on the end times so it was just trying to get her which you all that have um, been
1: listening for a while know that the end times the next set of things to happen for all of us is something that is very important to us and something that you have spent the majority of your time studying Mm -hmm. and looking into so that is something that we talk about pretty frequently especially lately
0: which kind of yeah and which kind of leads me into my next point of somebody had commented on itunes or left a review on itunes about um, one of the podcasts yeah i was like "Mm, okay i want to see you know i want to make sure she's she's right you know she was reviewing it this is what she thought i want to go ahead and cover these points that that she said, but first of all, I know we have a lot of new people yeah. here, and I don't. Really I guess have. I don't address that often enough. Um, I try to remember to say different things to try to clarify things. I've I've stated many many times that I am a that I hold to a premillennial dispensation dispensational theology. Um, and I have explained why I hold to this. We're going through an end time series talking about this. Yeah. Um, we
1: literally, this is a daily podcast, Monday through Friday. Right. So, so if you're just going to come in I and mean, listen to just, just come this one, episode, just one right episode, episode, yeah, it's not going to make sense. then you get these And like, that's what it was. And she remarks, was upset. She, like, was, she was we upset the way that. This.
0: She Yeah, she was upset the way that I went about the, the Durbin podcast, which, I, I mean, that's. That's totally I, you understandable. Can tell us that. Sure. I yeah, and I I was you know just personally I was kind of weighing these things. I was like, man, do I want to do this? Because I do. I really appreciate Jeff as a teacher, um, but I'm just sick and tired. And it's funny what she accused me of is something that Durbin does constantly. Yeah. And it's this regarding the end times, and it's something that he consistently dumps on. I've I've stated that before. It's this was final and, and I thought I stated it in that podcast, but
1: well, you did it, and that was kind of my frustration. Is it,
0: it's just like this for me was a final straw with him because of the things that he was saying. yeah and the confer- and it's funny because she said that I didn't defend from a scriptural basis and I'm like, well he didn't either. His argument wasn't scriptural. Well he was it, see, he was using words like what if? and left behind series. left behind series well and, and that was kind of
1: the point that you actually stated in the podcast was that this was kind of just a come on like stop treating it with right. just this view and closing everything off we're going to get into this and we're going to dive into this and we're going to break it down which was stated in the original podcast sure. so now this is the part that we're working on to do but
0: sure yeah now this yeah is just kind of answering these things on on what the the issues that i have at, are of it and for those of you that are confused right now and are thinking about just like not listening to this one, <laughs> stick with us because we're going to go over and explain some of the things that we're talking about. But the, 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 the things that I'm addressing here in, this, in the beginning of this, the people that are – I know these two people in particular are listening to this because, well, number one, the comment said that they're going to continue to listen. And the other person is, like I said, she is a um, dear sister in the Lord that I consider her. She was, she just really took me, um, you know, like almost in a captivating manner of how she went about speaking and, and, and communicating back and forth. Like I said, it was spirited. There was a couple of times where I was like, ooh, ah, but I'm sure she, she did the same thing. And that's fine. But at the end of the day, we both, and then, I mean, she just, it, it, you know, and then she incredibly humbled me the next day, um, just with just an amazingly kind gesture. And, and just I thank her and love her as a sister in Christ. And, and use the, and <laughs> if you're listening, which I know you are, like I said, um, this will be explaining a couple of my viewpoints uh, scripturally without just maybe just ranting about it, which I have in the last past couple. So do you want me
1: now to go through the the points of note that we had from your conversation and um, the, the the original Durbin podcast, and then we can break down these various things in the scriptural references? Sure. Okay. Yeah, let's do so, it. Kind of starting again, this was all kind of based off of that come on, Durbin, <laughs> that, that mm-hmm. podcast we had, Jeff Durbin of Apologia Church, um, who we think is great and does amazing mm-hmm. work in many, many ways. But again, as the title of the original podcast posted, mm-hmm. it is their in time theology where this group
0: has been. Oh, I wanna I wanna, I wanna clarify, she said she made I, I did make the comment that Jeff would eat me alive in a debate and she mm-hmm. said that I was trying to get Andy I was trying to campaign Andy to debate Durbin. Yes. Yeah, because Andy is an amazing, amazing Bible teacher, and so is Jeff. And I I admire both of them, although I strongly disagree with Jeff's view. I admire both of them, and I think Andy is, like, one of the smartest teachers that I know, and I would love to. That would be like my fantasy for me to see that and debate this topic specifically, because they both talk about this top, the same topic. They're both passionate. And they're both passionate in their this, ministries. Are so both so therefore they would be so very both, that, equally yoked. So if you know to to if you know anything about Andy Woods and you know anything about Jeff Durbin from Apologia, that would be a perfect match. Because they Honey, both. Honey, this is just teach. you trying
1: to sit around and say horrible things about people. On I'm a not trying to do thinking. that. Yeah, I'm <laughs> trying to say that they
0: both are passionate in their ministries about eschatology, and they so they'd both be perfect
1: people to have a discussion. And they
0: both, and that's what just made like seeing me, Ben
1: Shapiro and John MacArthur talk.
0: That's what made me think and mention the conversation that I had personally, because we both hold opposing views, and I and I, yeah. you know, I conversed with this this lady and then that was my example with this is that the they both hold opposing views but i really really um would like to hear because there's a there's a view that unfortunately one side has made a complete parody Mm -hmm. and that's the view that we hold and and jeff does that that he gives no weight to the legitimate argument of it and just makes fun of it yes he gives plenty of scriptural references for his specific point of view and he'll say that premillennialists basically are are just basically stupid he doesn't come out and say it but they basically he alludes to the fact that they're not very smart that
1: they're just caught up in this they're just caught up in this left behind fantasy well let's go through his points so the the topic of this is basically going we're going to look at the difference between covenant theology and premillennial dispensationalism.
0: Because these are the differences of what Jeff believes and mm-hmm. what I what I would hold to. Yes. Or what the two differences now I think are the main differences fighting against each other in the church. Yes. What they both claim that one's more the they're both popular. Uh, premillennialism claims that this covenant theology is m- most popular in the church, and
1: covenant. And then covenant theology, covenant
0: theology that says thing. that premillennialism is, is. So we'll go over these two terms.
1: So we're going to touch on some of these points that were brought up um, again, like we said in the original Jeff Durbin post, which you can go back and listen to that, and it plays his clips and everything. And then in the conversation that you had as well, we're going to touch on a couple points, and then we're going to go through and break down. The definitions, the explanations, the scriptures, all the things on it. But let us just share with you the points that really stood up to us as like, hmm, that's something worth discussing. And Right.
0: And, and kind of the, like you said, the, the title for the podcast that we did that was just like, come on, man. Like, really? So go it's ahead. It's
1: one thing to have your own view, but let's look and weigh things equally. And that was another reason why you suggested Andy Woods, because Andy Woods' style of teaching is to – Pull up evidence and look at the things for all sides, and then weigh and see what holds and what doesn't. Um, whereas Jeff Durbin is very much this way, and we don't even touch the episode. Yeah, and so. if
0: um if you listen to the older podcast too, you know that my personality is like not the not the type of personality that debates. Well, I get pretty short-circuited quick. <laughs> so, like in a Stop. public debate like that, I don't think that that would like. That you're like, yeah, a no, you're just so, not that person. And I, I'm kind of, you know, I've kind of been like flat out. So that is one thing that like you you kind of have to listen to our podcast.
1: Okay. So, so But if
0: you're new here, here you go.
1: Here you go. Jeff Durbin in his one that we started off with. Again, he's talking about this premillennial dispensationalism as – You know it as the Left Behind series, right?
0: And that's what he calls it. That's what he does. So already you're
1: discrediting it as having any biblical validity, and it's just a popular fictional book. Fictional.
0: So we got our theology from a fictional book. Well, he even states
1: in it that at his first Bible study he ever went to. They didn't even actually study the Bible. They were just watching the Left Behind movie. And I'm like, okay, then you can't say that's the first Bible study you went to because that's not a Bible study. It's not a Bible study. Like right. if I get together, you know, that's like the person who told us that they went to a church and the church was watching The Blind Side, the movie with Sandra Bullock, as like a church service. Well, you didn't go to a church service <laughs> because The Blind Side right. has nothing to do with it. Um, so... Number one, like you, you're already referring to it as just a fictional so story. So he and is
0: already, he's doing what he, that I was accused of.
1: Yeah. We're going to go through these points. And again, we're going to go back and then we're going to break down these things. This will be he's a longer all, podcast. He's
0: criticizing something without putting any scriptural back to this, but he, okay. without any giving any validity to an argument.
1: Yep. He also states that this is a new view in history, only 200 years old, which again, it is not. We will get into some additional yeah. reasons as to why. Calling it, you know, the secret rapture with the seven years of tribulation and then the kingdom. Um, and then obviously it depends on if you're pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation. There's a lot of breakups in between that. And then he goes on to say, well, what if that's all wrong? Right? Everything's what ifs and maybe if? and fictional stories. Okay. And our point was you want to say all these things, but what if it's right? Right.
0: Right. And he I mean, goes we can play in, a what-if game all day long. And he goes into a full preterist interpretation of the end times in general.
1: And he goes on, you know, to say as truth that... Only since the 19th century in the West has anyone believed in this secret rapture. In he the says rapt- that truth. He says it is truth. He says it is absolute fact that it has only been since the 19th century in the West that any Christian has believed in a rapture, tribulation, second coming of Christ, kingdom period, is what he states. And he states, as a matter of fact, that the Bible does not teach this. This is his statement. He also states that people who hold to this belief in a rapture, the tribulation, the second coming of Christ, and then the kingdom period of a thousand years, he says that... Those people have the, the world's going to hell in a handbasket mentality, so therefore they do absolutely nothing but sit around and wait for Jesus to come, you know, zap them out of their shoes type of a thing. They have the idea of why polish brass on a sinking ship? And it's kind of funny you said that because we just recorded an episode that said, no, no, no you're busy worrying about rearranging the, the chairs on the, the Titanic yeah. and we're going, we need to be saving people. Yeah, Come on exactly. guys. Like this is serious. So yeah. um, those were the, the, some big claims that we were just like, Oh my gosh. So we're going to break these down. But uh, again, some other points that we want to bring up um, in, in these conversations we've had is, is the, the claim that this view of premillennial dispensation uh, denies the sovereignty of God and makes the church plan B. That's a big one um, that, that people will say in argument to this that maybe you've even heard. Um, and then the other one I had right here, um, it says it makes the church Zionist with an emasculated Jesus who depends upon the West to hold Israel's political borders for him so that he can do his final work. Um, and they say that isn't the Jesus who I meet in the pages of the Bible um, yeah, <laughs> no that, that that isn't it. Um, that isn't it at all. But we would have. to... But there's to-
0: part there. That comment is is correct. Uh, yeah. Um, in in a lot of different ways. So that that I mean that yeah that. But at the same time, that's that's again. I think that's an unfair representation of the view but I haven't given a not saying that that's not how
1: some people might treat it as because we talk about I mean our new apostolic reformation episode that's that's coming out this week is going to hit on that hardcore Well, the
0: problem is is we have the the charismatic movement like we were talking the Pentecostals it's really really large because the Pentecostals hold to premillennial but they hold to Mm premillennial dispensation and that that's a terrible black eye, oh awful. for a legitimate Absolutely. legitimate doctrine, um because I don't agree with Pentecostals even in the slightest bit um, I think it's you know, no i I've done a spiritual gift podcast before, yeah. right? so let's so, go ahead
1: now and break down what is covenant theology. And then what is this dispensationalism? Just to make sure that everybody, we're all on the same page with what these things are. And then we'll move forward. And, and based off of those points we just shared, Brandon, you know, we'll kind of break down some, some notes on each one. So um, Brandon, of course. Grabbed from Got Questions, which we love, an amazing ministry and resource. Um, Yeah, I
0: got a ton of different resources here, though. It's not just from Got Questions. Yeah, yeah, no, this is just the first time I'm pulling it out. They said we we use Got Questions a lot because they're awesome and they totally are. Cool with
1: it. So. And sometimes I think that you write for them in secret and don't do tell too, me about yeah. it because I have been doing things like unrelated to what you're doing. And I'm like, you just had this the re- conversation and the with reason, me last like night. Said, the reason why,
0: if you're a new listener, the reason why you've got questions all the time is because I think that they are the best. They quickly summarize questions, whether yeah. it be Bible questions and theology questions. They quickly summarize them and then they encourage you to go look into additional resources. They don't encourage you to just look into what their little write-up is they give you the resources and, and where to go with it so exactly that's why i use them to sort of simplify these podcasts so they don't end up you know it's really hard Six to hours, cover these really eight huge hours topics long.
1: in like a hopefully it under is, an hour long podcast. So. so
0: that's why we use them all the time and they're awesome. So All
1: right. So they, they say here, what is covenant theology? So covenant theology isn't so much a theology in the sense of systematic set of doctrine as it is a framework for interpreting scripture. And that's what so much of this end times, different views, mm-hmm. really, this is what it comes down to. It's how you interpret, you know, these things.
0: So there's the Christians are going to have a couple different views on how all all of these things work. Yes. And how all of these these end times events go down. Yep. And this affects the church and this affects teaching. That was actually Jeff Durbin's point in the Mm -hmm. in the he said this affects, you know, things and it does. Um, so.
1: So it says it is usually contrasted with another interpretive framework for scripture called dispensational theology or dispensationalism. Dispensationalism is currently the most popular scriptural interpretive method in American evangelicalism and has been so far or so and has been so sorry from the latter half of the 19th century. Covenant theology, however, remains the majority report for Protestantism since the time of the Reformation, and it is a system favored by those of a more reformed or Calvinistic persuasion.
0: And that's why the lady the one lady was confused, is because I love talking about Calvinist principles. Yeah, you you I have do, a very Calvinist approach it, yeah, to many I things. Do, especially when it comes to But then you get to end depravity. times and it's like er! Yeah, and that's the thing is I do. Stop. I've been lately, you know. I think you you would call like some of the podcasts about depravity. Yeah. And um, and then you would get to the end times, and then you're like, whoa, 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 what? Wait, I thought I was listening to you know. You're like, yeah. I was expecting RC Sproul, and I all of a sudden got like. MacArthur over here. here, So
1: So where dispensationalism sees the scriptures unfolding in a series of typically (coughs) seven dispensations, a dispensation can be defined as the particular means God uses to deal with man and creation during a given period in redemptive history. Covenant theology looks at the scriptures through the grid of the covenant. Covenant theology defines two overriding covenants, the covenants of works and the covenant of grace. A third covenant is sometimes mentioned, namely the covenant of redemption. We will discuss these covenants in turn. The important thing to keep in mind is that all of the various covenants described in scripture, the covenants made with Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and the new covenant, are outworkings of either the covenant of works or the covenant of grace. Okay, Let's begin to examine the various covenants detailed in covenant theology, beginning with the covenant of redemption, which logically precedes the other two covenants. According to covenant theology, the covenant of redemption is a covenant made among the three persons of the Trinity to elect, atone for, and save a select group of individuals unto salvation and eternal life. As one popular pastor theologian has said in the covenant of redemption, the father chooses a bride for his son. Well the covenant redemption is not explicitly stated in Scripture. Scripture does explicitly state the eternal nature of the plan of salvation. So you can look up Ephesians chapter one verses three through fourteen, um, Ephesians three eleven, second Thessalonians two thirteen, second Timothy one nine, James two five, and first Peter one two. Those will all touch on that. Moreover, Jesus often referred to his task as carrying out the father's will. He did that in John 5 and 3 when he says in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Uh, then in 43, I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Uh, John six thirty eight through 40. John seventeen four through 12. That the salvation of the elect was God's intention from the very beginning of creation cannot be doubted. The covenant... Um, of redemption just formalizes this eternal plan in the language of covenant from a redemptive historical perspective the covenant of works is the first covenant we see in scripture when god created man he placed him in the garden of eden and gave him one simple command you are free to eat from any tree in the garden but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat of it you will surely die that's genesis 2 verses 16 through 17 We can see the covenantal language implied in this command. God sets Adam in the garden and promises eternal life to him and his posterity as long as he is obedient to God's command. Life is the reward for obedience and death is the punishment for disobedience. This is covenant language. Some scholars see in the covenant of works a form of what is called a Caesarean vassal covenant. In these types of covenants, the Caesarean, the king or ruler, would offer the terms of the covenant to the vassal, the subject the Caesarian would provide blessing and protection in return for the vassal's tribute. In the case of the covenant works, God promises the eternal life and blessings to mankind in returns for man's obedience to the stipulations of the covenant, like don't eat from the tree, we see a similar structure in the giving of the old covenant through Moses to Israel. Israel made a covenant with God at Sinai. God would give them the promised land, a reconstituted Eden, a land filling with mil- flowing with milk and honey, and his blessing and protection against all enemies in return for Israel's obedience to the stipulations of the covenant. The punishment for covenant violation was expulsion from the land which occurred in the conquest of the northern kingdom in 722 BC and the southern kingdom in 586 BC. When Adam failed in keeping the covenant of works, God instituted the third covenant called the covenant of grace. In that covenant, God freely offers to sinners, those who fail to live up to the covenant of works, eternal life and salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We see the provision for the covenant of grace right after the fall when God prophesies the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15. Whereas the covenant of works is conditional and promises blessing for obedience and cursing for disobedience, the covenant of grace is unconditional and is given freely on the basis of God's grace. This covenant takes the form of ancient land grant treaties in which a king would give land to a recipient as a gift, no strings attached. One can argue that faith is a condition of the covenant of grace. There are many exhortations in the Bible for the recipients of God's unconditional grace to remain faithful to the end. So, in a very real sense, maintaining faith is a condition of the covenant of grace. But the Bible clearly teaches that even saving faith is a gracious gift from God. That's Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. We see the covenant of grace manifested in the various unconditional covenants God makes with individuals in the Bible. The covenant God makes with Abraham to be his God and for Abraham and his descendants to be his people is an extension of the covenant of grace. The Davidic covenant, that's a descendant of David will always reign as king, is also an extension of this covenant. The new covenant is the final expression of the covenant of grace as God writes his law upon our hearts and completely forgives our sins one thing that should be apparent as we look at these various old testament covenants is that they are all filled they all find their fulfillment in jesus christ the promise to abraham to bless all the nations was fulfilled in christ the davidic king who will eternally rule over god's people also fulfilled in christ and the new covenant was obviously fulfilled in christ even in the Old Covenant, there are hints of the covenant of grace as all of the Old Testament sacrifices and rituals point forward to the saving work of Christ, our great high priest. If you read through Hebrews 8 um, through 10, that's all about that. Mm-hmm. This is why Jesus can say in the Sermon on the Mount that he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. That's Matthew five seventeen. So he came to fulfill all of these things. We also see that the covenant of grace in action in the Old Testament when God spares his people the judgment that their repented sin or, or sorry, repeated sin deserves. Repentance. Sorry, um, even though the stipulations of the Mosaic covenant and application of the that would covenant of works. Yeah, I know. Sorry. <laughs> right. um, even though the Mosaic covenant promised God's judgment upon Israel for their disobedience to His commands, God deals patiently with His covenant people. This yep. is usually accompanied by the phrase, "God remembered the covenant He made with Abraham." You see that in Second Kings thirteen mm-hmm. twenty three, Psalm one hundred five, Isaiah twenty nine twenty two, and forty one. But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I am chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, God's promise to fulfill the covenant of grace, which by definition is a one-sided covenant, often overrode His right to enforce the covenant works. That's a brief description of covenant theology and how it interprets Scripture through the lens of the covenant. A question that sometimes arises regarding covenant theology is whether or not the covenant of grace supplants or supersedes the covenant of works. In other words, is the covenant of works obsolete since the old covenant is obsolete? Hebrews 8.13 says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The Old Mosaic Covenant, while an application of the Covenant of Works, is not the Covenant of Works. Again, that covenant goes all the way back to Eden when God promised life for obedience and death for disobedience. It is further elaborated in the Ten Commandments in which God again promises life and blessing for obedience and death and punishment for disobedience. The Old Covenant is more than just the moral law confided in the Ten Commandments. It includes the rules and regulations regarding the worship of God. It also includes the civil law that governed the nation of Israel during their um, monarchy. With the coming of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, many aspects of the Old Covenant become obsolete because Jesus fulfilled the Old Covenant types and figures. Again, Hebrews 8 through 10. The Old Covenant represented the types and shadows, whereas Christ represents the substance, Colossians 2.17. They, These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Again, Christ came to fulfill the law as we read Matthew 5.17. As Paul says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God, 2 Corinthians 1.20. However, this does not abrogate the covenant of works as co- codified in the moral law. God demanded holiness from his people in the Old Testament, Leviticus 11:44, and still de- demands holiness from his people in the New Testament. 1 Peter 1:6 says, "Since it was written, you shall be holy for I am holy." So we are still obligated to fulfill the stipulations of the covenant of works. The good news is that Jesus Christ, the last Adam and our covenant head, Perfectly fulfilled the demands of the covenant of works and the perfect righteousness is the reason why God can extend the covenant of grace to the elect. Romans five twelve 12-21 describes the situation between the two federal heads of the human race. Adam represented the human race in the garden and failed to uphold the covenant of works, thereby plunging him and his posterity into sin and death. Jesus Christ stood as man's representative from his temptation in the wilderness all the way to Calvary and perfectly fulfilled the covenant of works. That is why Paul says, As in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. That's in 1 Corinthians 15:22. In conclusion, covenant theology views the covenants of scripture as manifestations of either the covenant of works or the covenant of grace. The entire story of redemptive history can be seen as God unfolding the covenant of grace from its stages, Genesis 315, to through its fruition in Christ. Covenant theology is therefore a very Christocentric way of looking at Scripture because it sees the Old Testament as the promise of Christ and the New Testament as the fulfillment in Christ. Some have accused covenant theology as teaching what is called replacement theology. That's where the church replaces Israel. This couldn't be further from the truth. Unlike dispensationalism, Covenant theology does not see a sharp distinction between Israel and the church. Israel. And this
0: is really, really important to where now where we hold yes. in the dispensational yes. view.
1: Because you have replacement theology who thinks that the church has completely replaced Israel. Right. And then covenant theology does not see a sharp distinction between Israel and the church. Right. Israel constituted the people of God in the Old Testament. And the church, which is made up of Jew and Gentile, constitutes the people of God in the New Testament. Both just make up one people of God. Ephesians 2, 11 through 20 says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the... The circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of him. Uh, Galatians, sorry, the church does not replace Israel. The church is Israel and Israel is the church. Um, Galatians 6.16. All people who exercise the same faith as Abraham are part of the covenant people of God. Galatians 3.25-29. through 29. Many more things could be said regarding covenant theology, but the important thing to keep in mind is that covenant theology is an interpretive grid for understanding the scriptures. As we have seen, it is not the only way to interpret scripture. Covenant theology and dispensationalism have many differences and sometimes lead to opposite conclusions regarding certain secondary doctrines, but both adhere to the essentials of the Christian faith. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and to God alone be the glory. Mm -hmm.
0: So that Whew. is That's that Covenant was a, Theology. I know that was a long one. But that is basically a basic under. basically, basically Trump now. Um it's a basic understanding of what covenant theology versus dispensationalism is. And basically the difference is the church in Israel, how that the these two things are viewed. Where covenant theology says, you know, there is no there's no distinction between Israel and the church, and they say so. They're that, not
1: saying that they have replaced the church, correct? But just there's no difference. There's so now no after difference. Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew, do you know Jesus or not? In the story,
0: replacement theology, re, re, the church replaces Israel yes. completely. But covenant theology is is so that that's where they're they're not they don't go hand in hand always because you can kind of have a weird view of the millennium and still not be you know that the covenant or uh, replacement
1: All right so now let's go ahead and look at the other side now that we're talking about is what is dispensationalism okay so we just covenant theology dispensationalism these are the two we're going to look at. So a dispensation is a way of ordering things an administration a system or a management, in theology, a dispensation is the divine administration of a period of time. Each dispensation is a divinely appointed age. So dispensationalism is a theological system that recognizes these ages ordained by God in, to order the affairs of the world. Dispensationalism has two primary distinctives. One, a consistently literal interpretation of scripture, especially Bible prophecy. And two, a view of the uniqueness of Israel as separate from the church in God's program. Classical dispensationalism identifies 7 dispensations in God's plan for humanity. Dispensationalists hold to a literal interpretation of the Bible as the best
0: hermeneutic.
1: Hermeneutic. I hate saying that word. <laughs> and that's where if you go back to our episode uh, how to understand scripture, scripture we, we go through a whole thing of that braid and says the word not Jesus. me. So, yeah. The literal interpretation gives each word the meaning it would commonly have in everyday usage. Allowances are made for symbols, figure of speech, and types, of course. It is understood that even symbols and figurative sayings have literal meanings behind them. So, for example, when the Bible speaks of a thousand years in Revelation 20, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain, and he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit. I think is what it said, it can't let me scroll down dispensationalists interpret it as a literal period of a thousand years the dispensation of the kingdom since there is no compelling reason to interpret it otherwise said it did this for a thousand years so we believe that it meant it did that for a thousand years there are at least two reasons why literalism is the best way to view scripture first philosophically the purpose of language itself requires that we interpret words literally language was given by god for the purpose of being able to communicate words are vessels of meaning The second reason is Biblical. Every prophecy about Jesus Christ in the Old Testament was fulfilled literally. Jesus' birth, his ministry, death, and resurrection all occurred exactly as the Old Testament predicted. The prophecies were literal. There is no non-literal fulfillment of Messianic prophecies in the New Testament. This argues strongly for the literal method. If a literal interpretation is not used in studying the Scriptures, there is no objective objective standard by which to understand the bible each person would be able to interpret the bible as he saw fit biblical interpretation would de- devolve into what this passage says to me instead of the bible says sadly this is already the case and much is what is called bible study today and this has been our point in all of these in time church mega church new apostolic reformation i mean all of the things we're talking about it's we've left this It means what it says and it says what it means to, well, I think it's this. I think it's that. Dispensational theology teaches that there are two distinct peoples of God, Israel and the church. Dispensationalists believe that salvation has always been by grace through faith alone in God in the Old Testament and specifically in God the Son in the New Testament. Dispensationalists hold that the church has not replaced Israel in God's program and that the Old Testament promises to Israel have not been transferred to the church. Remember, that's that replacement theology. Dispensationalism teaches that the promises God made to Israel in the Old Testament for land, many descendants, and blessings will be ultimately fulfilled in the thousand-year period spoken of in Revelation 20. Dispensationalists believe that just as God is in this age focusing his attention on the church, he will again in, fut- in the future focus his attention on Israel. See Romans 9-11 through and Daniel 9:24. Um, Daniel's where he says, seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put to an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place." Dispensationalists understand the Bible to be organized into seven dispensations. Innocence—that's Genesis one one through three seven. Conscience—Genesis three eight through eight twenty two. Human government—Genesis nine one to eleven thirty two. Promise, which is Genesis twelve one through Exodus nineteen twenty five. Uh, Law—Exodus twenty verse one through Acts two verse four. The age of grace, which is Acts chapter 2 verse 4 through revelation 20 verse 3 and the millennial kingdom which is revelation 20 verses 4 through 6 again these dispensations are not paths to salvation but to, to salvation but manners in which god relates to man each dispensation includes a recognizable pattern of how god worked with people living in that dispensation the pattern is one a responsibility two, a failure three a judgment and for grace to move on. Dispensationalism as a system results in a premillennial interpretation of Christ's second coming and usually a pre-tribulational interpretation of the rapture. To summarize, dispensationalism is a theological system that emphasizes the literal interpretation of Bible prophecy, recognizes a distinction between Israel and the church, and organizes the Bible into different dispensations or administrations. So, those are the the two we're talking about here just to make sure everybody's very clear on what these things mean and where scripturally we find
0: so what dispensationalism is yep versus covenant theology yep and the two differences what they view so um uh
1: and we want to go in our points
0: yeah yeah let's go Let's go on to the points.
1: Okay. So we've got a, a few points here of those first things that we read to you guys that stood out that we, we kind of talked on, but we want to go ahead and we've, we've pulled together another uh, resource that Brandon found um, in all of his, you guys would not believe the amount of study materials he has on these topics. He's crashed multiple computers. Yeah. Um, but on, anyways, we're going to go through this again, just because they do a great job kind of organizing these things. Um, and it's basically all of the notes that Brandon has on his notebook here just already kind of put together. So we're going to go through this and he, can discuss these things kind of touching on these the first one that really stood out to us was that dispensationalists teach that the death of Christ was an afterthought and that the church is plan b in God's program so that was like a huge
0: yeah that was a huge uh charge that I definitely can I can understand um that one a little bit um, like I said, I, a lot of these claims against this viewpoint I, that are they're legitimate um, because the, this viewpoint does have a lot of black eyes, but so but is it to black eyes
1: out. because that's what the truth of scripture is saying, or is it black eyes because that's what people have made it to well, be? Well, that's what you know people what I mean? have made it to be. Yeah, and and so that's, that's what's unfortunate. And that's why that. we want to clarify these things. Well, because just then, because.
0: just But unfortunately, people kind of put you into a corner where you have to choose a side and you have to explain these things. Well, I'm not going to choose a side. I have to explain them in their terms that they sure. are. So, so they kind of back you into a corner on that. But um, as far as plans B, that's just a common... Characterization of it. Um, go ahead. Why don't you go ahead and read? We have.
1: Uh, yeah, I've got it here.
0: Another hear. resource. This one is from um, Ephesians two eight on Instagram, but it's Middletown Bible Church dot uh, org, and they have the most incredible resource website. I think I've seen. And it, it's so good.
1: Oh, it's very thorough. Yeah, it's very, I mean, we, very we thorough. You guys, you think and this is going to be a long podcast. Ve- we couldn't touch on these. I yeah, mean, there's just so a- much. It's amazing this week. We'll, we'll link everything they below do, in the notes.
0: I mean, they do hold to a dispensational view, but they do very good dispensational apologetics. And
1: that if you do not hold to this view this is the thing that you're all you've always been very big in but most people don't do this if there is an opposing view that you don't hold to is it you don't hold to it because you've completely studied it and you truly believe scripture weighs a different way or do you not hold to it because you're ignorant of it you don't you're honestly know sure, what right? the truth of it you know what it's truly teaching and that's where you've always been the type of person that you will go dive off on the other end i think this is right but let me go well yeah and that's the, the thing with the see And that's the fall. thing
0: with the the conversation that I had that I said, you know what, if you're educated in your view. Yeah. And you hold to okay, I understand the other view. I'm not if you hold that view, fine. I recognize it. I just don't agree with it, you know what? Fine. And then we can talk. Sure. And that I I felt kind of that's like what we had going on there. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it shouldn't divide you on, you know, how you talk or, or anything like that.
1: So on the point of the church being plan B, it says the opponents of dispensationalism characterize our teaching as follows. Dispensationalists believe that God's main program was the kingdom, but since that did not work out, he decided to send his son to die on the cross as an afterthought. Philip Morrow said it this way. When we press the vital question, what, in case the offer had been accepted, would have become the cross of Calvary and the atonement for the sins of the world? O.T. Alice made this statement, if the Jews had accepted the kingdom, would there have been any place, any necessity for the cross? These are unfair characterizations. Dispensationalists are convinced, as are Reformed men, that Christ was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Compare Revelation 13.8
0: see because that's usually that's that's what we're that completely what we're um accused of yes is that okay we're saying christ wasn't enough no did did we hold you the same go ahead sorry i didn't want to interrupt you there but that was just answering one of the claims that we didn't write down but there you go
1: i have never met a dispensationalist who did not believe in the centrality of the cross of our savior God forbid that we should glory or boast in anything else. Galatians 6.14 May we join Paul in saying, For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's 1 Corinthians 2.2 2. Dispensationalists know and teach that there is a scarlet cord that runs throughout the Bible. The cross of Christ is central. It is the focal point of all history. Its place of absolute preeminence must never be diminished or minimized. What about the church being plan B in God's program? This false charge is similar. Dispensationalists, so we are told, teach that the church is God's plan B. Plan A is the kingdom, which did not work out, so God had a backup plan. Plan B, which is the church. Reformed theologian, I can't talk, theologian R.C. Sproul Jr. says it this way. We are not dispensationalists here. We believe that the church is essentially Israel. We believe that the answer to what about the Jews is here we are. We deny that the church is God's plan B. We deny that we are living in God's redemptive parentheses and that sometime in the next three, no two, no eight, no seven years, he'll get back to his real work dealing with the Jews. He said that in 1999. (laughs) The church is not plan B, and Mr. Sproul would have great difficulty finding any dispensationalists who would refer to the church in such a way. Dispensationalists never speak of the church being plan B, even though we are accused of doing so. Again, it is a false characterization. Known unto God in all his works from the beginning of the world. That's Acts 15 verse 18. And this includes his plan for Israel and his plan for the church. The church, instead of being plan B, might be referred to as a mystery plan. It was something that was not made known to man for ages and for generations. It was was something locked up in the loving heart and mind of God. See Ephesians chapter 3 verses 3 through 10, Colossians chapter 1 verses 26 and 27, etc. Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, Isaiah, Daniel, John the Baptist, these men knew nothing of God's plan and purpose which would involve one new man, Ephesians 2:15, even the body of Christ. To deny God's parentheses, the period of time between the 69th and 70th week of Daniel 9, is to plunge the Bible interpreter into a faulty and erroneous system of preterism.
0: Oh, and that's dangerous.
1: The teaching that says that all or most prophecies found their fulfillment in or around 70 AD. And you could do a million podcast topics just off of that, because that dives us off into a whole different mess. Bondage to this system makes it impossible to understand Bible prophecies in a normal and natural way. When the plain sense makes good sense, they must seek some other sense lest they end up agreeing with the dispensationalist.
0: <laughs> and this is what I this is what the issue was with the person that says I'm giving no basis to my argument against Jeff Durbin. No Okay, well Jeff was saying what if? What if that's all wrong? And yeah. he was arguing a point for preterism. Yes. which says that all of these prop all of this stuff was fulfilled in the very generation that Jesus was spoken of. so this would have all been fulfilled by 70 AD mm-hmm. including tribulation and yep. and the mark of the B- the Antichrist all that it was all by 70 AD and we now are in the kingdom age and we are bringing going out spreading the gospel making, uh, you know all the nations' subjects under Christ's feet. So that's what he's saying. Well, what if this is the way that it was? And it's like that's what preterism does, and that's what preterism is. That's what the definition of it is. Is it says that all of these things are fulfilled within this. It's just a fancy term for that. But it does. It it just kind of it schools you into a completely weird understanding of scripture. After that, you can. But it's it, you know it's just to have something that's fulfilled by seventy A.D. You're pointing to Revelation, which Revelation arguing a early date for Revelation is extremely 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 difficult. There you go again. That's another one of my f- the, you know, studies that I've done and, and gone and just tirelessly gone and looked at the, you know, search for everything I could I could learn, everything I could find, everything in school about Revelation. Arguing a early date for Revelation is almost, it's almost foolish. I, I wouldn't call it foolish, but it's it's close because it just falls apart. It, there's there it's really hard to build a case for it. I know there's very very smart people, Doug Wilson for instance. He will sit here and he will argue until he's blue in the face and early dating for revelation and writing for it. I don't agree with it. I think that those arguments fall apart regardless. And it and it's ridiculous to think that, I mean I I do think it's ridiculous to think that. I mean, even most common Biblical interpretations that we have, even most study Bibles, our most common understanding now is that this was written some into the late 90s AD.
1: And not because it's a new teaching that somebody came up with, but with all of the information we have, with with all of the stuff that is out there, this is what makes the most logical sense for the order of events.
0: That's what I'm saying is a lot of that viewpoint rests on this date for Revelation. Oh,
1: because if this date thing doesn't work out, then the whole idea of preterism doesn't work out. Yeah, and
0: then that's when you you have different people that are partial preterists. Well, they say, okay, well, not everything was fulfilled then. But Just most, most everything, everything yeah. and there's the rest not, is like spirit. Right. And that's where you get different views like Vody Bacham, where he says that the millennium is more of a, um, you know, it is a completely. That's where you get those different. We'll go into that. I don't want to spoil that one. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: do you want to bring right. up our next couple points? Why don't of? we
0: go ahead? Yeah. Bring up the, the next. Probably finish on points. the we've
1: got two more points. Two more. We'll probably finish on this one and do the next thing separate, you think?
0: Yeah, I think so. Because
1: we're already at like an hour yeah, yeah, or so. Yeah, I agree. So, dispensationalism is a new doctrine. This is a big one. This is what Jeff Durbin clings on all the time. Many people will say that this is a new thing that just showed up. And so, no one in the early church believed in any of this idea. Um, Rapture and and all of this stuff is just crazy. And the apostles didn't believe it. and the early church believed it.
0: So, this is an interesting um, answer that they give here on this, on their apologetic article here for it. Yeah. Um, this is an interesting uh statement they make about it, but again that's what he said that there's no scriptural basis for his claim because this is a this is a guess that he's believing that this is a new doctrine I believe I can show you in scripture where I believe that we get a place for Israel and where we get a place for you know, these these arguments that he that he's saying don't matter. I can you know he To say he's that pointing, there's no scriptural anything. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Is, is he's insane, pointing to First Corinthians fifteen yeah and saying that this is the order of things and this is it. Uh, this is God's bi- five favorite Bible verse in Psalm one ten is all things under his feet. So this is kingdom now theology and we're we're all of a sudden doing this and okay well then how do you reconcile the whole book of you know romans how do you reconcile galatians ephesians when he comes to set up his kingdom you know not his kingdom is here now the I letters mean, to the thessalonians how do we yeah, reconcile thessalonians, those you know in the same thing in corinthians we you know it, it it's hard so anyway Read the statement on as far as this dispensationalism being a newer doctrine.
1: Any student of church history will understand that the basic truths of God's word were lost and had to be discovered and recovered. For example, at the time of the Reformation, the most basic truths of how a person is saved had to be rediscovered. It took nearly 1,500 years just to rediscover the truth of justification by faith, the supreme authority of the Bible, and the priesthood of every believer. If it took this long for the most basic truths to be recovered, it should not surprise us that it took even longer before the church rediscovered certain truths about the nature of the church and the certain facets of God's prophetic program, etc. We are thankful that the Reformers recovered some basic truths relating to salvation and justification, but in many other respects they did not break free from certain errors that had been held for centuries, such as the teaching that the church is the kingdom from Augustine and that the Old Testament prophecies cannot be taken literally. Origen's allegorical approach, which this is the thing that you talk about all the stinking time.
0: Yeah. The, was, the
1: reformers, they reformed so far from the Catholic Church and from all of these false teachings. Except teaching, for this. Except for this. And they
0: held to this teaching, which is, it. Well, this was specifically third century, uh, you know, that they, they, uh, he, he basically produced the first case of like all millennialism. Yeah. And no millennium. No, that's where this came from. Yeah. And they didn't reform from it. They kept it. And I don't.
1: Well, this is so everybody says, well, Darby came up with the raptures. Well, hold hold on a second here. New Testament mystery truths which relate to the nature of the church and to God's program and purpose for this present age were not recovered until the 19th and 20th centuries. If dispensationalism can be attacked simply because it is new, then covenant theology has the same weakness. As Ryrie points out, Systemized covenant theology is recent. It was not the express doctrine of the early church. It was never taught by church letters and the leaders in the Middle Ages. It was not even mentioned by the primary leaders of the Reformation. Indeed, covenant theology as a system is only a little older than dispensationalism. Covenant theology is a post-Reformation development and doctrine. Covenant theology is a refinement, and the refining did not antedate. Darby by many years. Covenant theology cannot claim much more antiquity than dispensationalism. If lack of antiquity is a detrimental and refinement is disallowed for dispensationalism, then by the same two criteria, covenant theology is discredited. The real issue is not whether a system of theology is new or ancient, but whether it is biblical. So it is amazing how people want to argue this so much of when this idea came about or whatever, versus what does scripture say?
0: Yeah, I mean it, and that's the greatest statement. Is yeah, it's not, number one. Is yes, we we can argue facts back and forth on on how old the doctrine is, okay, um, which we can prove fairly easily that it there was understanding of this long before the nineteenth century. But it does make
1: sense with the rediscovering of things, because as things get off and get twisted and go on, right? We have this huge period where doctrine goes super crazy. That's that's the Reformation, all the other things. Yeah, then yeah, if you want, I mean, if you
0: want one example of that is in Irenaeus's writings in in against heresies. I think it's 536. I don't know what the exact section is. I had it up, but I don't. But he speaks of a literal millennium and I mean he puts together a full case of of premillennialism in this and this is all and that was how
1: many years and, before the 19th and 20th centuries well,
0: yeah this was like what one like later in the 150 yeah. AD is when he was in, until like 200 and Yeah, so. so that's long before so and there's I mean there's just a whole list of the, of early church fathers that held to that belief and then you can also see where it came in around the same time that there was a different that you had these people that were teaching no no, no 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 that's not the way that it is this is the king and it it just became a mess and it, it and then the catholic church Rose up, got involved in a lot of it, and from then on, it was like this said, it was just, it's one of the things that they, I just don't see how the Reformers didn't catch, they didn't agree with, or that's partly, I think, one thing that just makes me kind of suspect about it, especially the fact of their anti-Semitism. I'm like, well, then, if we understand that in the church that there's going to be false teachings that weasel their way into the church and their doctrines of demons and their you know these are demonic forces that are infiltrating the church and bringing these things in and we know that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light so we know that these things are going to be and even these doctrines are going to everything's going to be right they're going to be right 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 until there's those little things that throw you off and I really believe that I mean, with the, especially with the reformers, that's that one little thing that that Satan wants you to throw off. And how perfect would it be that it's anti-Semitic, because it's right, against the Jews the things, yeah. since the beginning of time. I mean, that's their that's their lot in life until until we believe as premillennialists that it's gonna completely reverse in the kingdom age. Sorry kingdom now folks Premillennialists believe that the kingdom age is coming not already here believe that it is obviously yes christ is king it takes nothing away from christ in his accomplishments um that's one that's one charge that i don't quite understand because i acknowledge everything that you do that christ accomplished amen did all that amen
1: and if you are but, a pre-millennialist that's sitting around doing absolutely nothing, waiting to be raptured, then you need to go read your Bible. Get off your booty. That has nothing to do with that. Yeah, no. <laughs> I
0: don't know and, of any pre-millennial that either. believe that way, but the people say either. they're out and there. So. I, and yeah, and I mean, if you're, if you're just sitting there expecting, and if you don't think that it's not your job to, and if you don't think that it's not your job to leave some kind of moral footprint in this world, you're out of your mind. And I understand that there are premillennialists out there that will completely shut down anything of doing anything. They're like, no, everything's horrible. Everything, you know, every industry Satan's, you know, and, th- and that's, that's not the right way of, of thinking or going about things. Even though some things they may be saying may be true, but they're saying, you know, no, we shouldn't believe that. My life as a believer should look the same as any other believer's life. Um, my life as
1: a believer should not be defined by these secondary doctrines that I cling on to. Yeah, absolutely like, not. And I understand <laughs> that it be has
0: difference. been, and premillennialism is definitely an easy target for that. I'll, I'll give them that.
1: Well, let's go to this, our last point then. Dispensationalism teaches a secret rapture, right? Yeah. You heard Durbin say it in The Thing. This is the one of those yeah, things that gets thrown out all the time. So let me read this little tidbit here. I attended a dispensational seminary in 1972 to 1975 and have traveled in dispensational circles for the last 40 years. So the person writing this here, I mean, I would say they're fairly involved in this idea, right? Yeah. I have never known of any dispensational Bible teacher who spoke of a secret rapture. This is a term that non-dispensationalists always use despairingly. They consistently accuse dispensationalists of teaching a secret rapture. In what sense is the rapture a secret? In 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one, the truth pertaining to the rapture is called a mystery. This means that it was a truth that was unrevealed to men in previous ages. Moses, David, Isaiah, and John the Baptist knew nothing of the rapture of the church. It was a secret or mystery that had not yet been revealed. Yeah. A New Testament mystery is something that was once hidden but now revealed. God has made it known to his saints, and it is a secret no more. Paul said, I show you a mystery. If he showed it to us, then it's no longer hidden. It is clearly revealed to those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. It is a truth that has been clearly revealed. It is a secret no more. Bible believers should be making known the glorious truth that, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, living believers will be changed, and those who have died will be raised. First, First Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 52, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. Like we were saying earlier, right? We could sit here and do this. Maybe, or sorry, may we be looking expectantly for this blessed and comforting and purifying hope, Titus 2.13. It's no secret, but it's a wonderful, life changing truth that our living Lord expects us to believe. We are told to encourage one another with mm-hmm. these words of expectation of what is going to happen because it was a secret. It was a mystery that has now been revealed.
0: Yeah, there's, yeah, that's exactly encourage what it is. Encourage one no, another with these words. There's that's absolutely zero secret in it. And I've known no believer that. You know, yeah, just zap out of your shoes all of a sudden, poof. You know, it, that's what it's been dumbed down to. They say, you know, some alien invasion is going to cause the, oh, you gosh, know, exp- yeah. it's like, People oh, come. crazy. That's where I'm like, oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> that And that doesn't give, and there's no biblical basis, basis for behind idi- yeah, that. Yeah, no. Stop. Where we can sit here and paint all day long our story where we get the, the, the doctrine of the rapture, we can sit here and debate that and, and show you that all day long. And they can show you where they, they disagree with it. But that doesn't make I mean, literally if you interpret it the way that it's that we Well that and it that's says, the point of
1: talking about covenant theology versus dispensationalism. And dispensationalism is to take God's word at God's word. So when it's speaking literally, you take it literally. When it's speaking figuratively, you take it and the figuratively. the Bible is right? the
0: best interpreter for itself. The Bible App- no- always. Most norm- always. always explains itself. Yep. It's not written. You weigh
1: everything. You weigh scripture by That's scripture. That's
0: what the thing is. It's not written in some weird code that we can't yeah. understand. No. It, it, there, it is symbolic there is but the bi- explains to you when it's symbolic and in oh. revelation especially oh completely it, it'll re- the book of revelation goes through and explains to you when where it's symbolic mm-hmm. and where it's literal and then there's certain things that we just don't know for sure yeah i don't think anybody has a completely nobody but has But nobody a completely wants to fess up and
1: say like i don't know it could be this it could be that i don't know for certain what right, this is right but
0: it's but it's also not Completely un, un understandable.
1: Oh, yeah, no, absolutely not. At,
0: at all. I mean, that's not, that, that's not, it's, God would not do that. Revelation is the revealing. The whole point of the book is to reveal something, not to completely puzzle you. It is the key for every single Old Testament prophecy that we have, every single promise to Israel, every single promise that we have in Scripture every single promise that we have that ultimately fulfills everything with us and the father, then it is the outline of that. Just where you put that in and how you interpret different things is, that's up to a huge debate. I happen to think that, you know, it is, well, that's a different. That's a different podcast on, on Revelation. Yeah, we'll get there. But I think if everybody knows what my view on Revelation is, if everybody knows I'm a pre, pre millennial so dispensationalist.
1: This was our next chunk, going through these various series of the end times umbrella honestly because there's a lot (laughs) in this umbrella but looking at two different viewpoints of the covenant theology and dispensationalism. Yeah so we're gonna just
0: on part two we're just gonna kind of pick up with this podcast though so we're gonna put this one out at the same time as the other one around the same time as part one and two? They're over. all
1: just... We have them coming out every day, you guys. So they're coming out every single day with these different things. We have a... They're pretty much nearly everything right now, just with your guys's feedback and what we're talking about, is pretty much all under this umbrella. I mean, yeah. honestly, everything right now pretty is much. minus our one little rapid fire we've thrown in there. But other than that, everything is pretty much in the same. So every day monday through friday and even this upcoming week on sunday you guys have a theology ref so it'll be out but we're talking about these various topics and going through them all if you have any questions please reach out let us know you can go to aphomechurch.com all the stuff it's all on there but otherwise we'll keep on trucking through all of this anything else you want to add today nope all right guys thank you